Good morning. Switched on. Is this any? Is this? Come, does it sound like it's coming through? Oh yeah, there we go. Well, yes, Christmas. It comes earlier every year, I think. Uh, saw mince pies in in the co-op in October, which is, I think, a record. I know we blame a lot of things on Americans, but they have Thanksgiving, which sort of acts as a helpful buffer. So I don't think they get it, but just feels like Christmas comes earlier every year. So if you can't beat them, join them. So we're starting our Christmas series in November. And as Chris was saying, the idea is to lead into the Christmas period. And on the 16th, we have Ivor Cooper coming to speak to us. And that'd be a great occasion to invite family and friends to as they think about the Christmas period. So our series, as Chris said, is Joy to the World, God's Answers to Our Problems. Now we could perhaps say... The series should be Joy to the World, question mark. You know, if Christmas is such good news, how come people seem to feel lonelier at Christmas? If it's such good news, how come there seems to be more family conflict at Christmas? And how come, except the super organized, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, feel extremely stressed at Christmas? How come it's good news if all those things seem to actually be amplified, our loneliness, our stress, and our conflict? What's gone wrong? What are God's answers to that? Are we as a church any different to the world around us? Do we get sucked into the stress and the running and the going from one thing to the next, the conflict, the loneliness? Do we have a message to the world that does experience those kind of issues, which are very real? So that's the the outline of, of why we're looking at this series for the next few weeks. And as Chris said today, our title is Dealing with Stress, Mary, the servant of the Lord. So we're going to look at Mary's life or a few incidents from it to see how she prepared for Christmas. And remember, if you think Christmas comes early for us, she started nine months before Christmas and had a run up to Christmas. And of course, we could take lessons from her. She had an extremely stressful pre-birth experience of having to travel several hundred miles from, well, not quite that many, but by foot, so probably felt like it, from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. She had, after the birth, a murderous king out to get her son and had to flee in the night when Jesus was still a toddler. So I'm sure she could teach us some lessons about stress. But I I think it's better. we're going to look at a particular passage, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, to see how the angel came to her and took her through that. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, it's probably good to define, well, what do I mean by stress? If you look up a dictionary... Stress is pressure or tension exerted on something, an object. And I have two experts in front of me on stress on metals and all that kind of stuff, so they can tell me all about it afterwards. But actually, unless you live in a monastery, and probably even there, you face stress. Life has stressful moments. And it's actually desirable to be under stress. The doctors tell us and the health experts that actually your bones get weak when they don't experience stress. And your muscles disappear, if you had any, when they're not used. Uh, If you've ever had your leg in a cast, the biggest shock is not that the bone is mended, it's how much of your muscle seems to have wasted away those six, seven weeks you were in a cast with no movement. So just like our bodies, if they're not put under stress, they start to waste away. Our characters, our spiritual life, if it's not put under stress, likewise, just doesn't go anywhere. James tells us in his book, surprisingly, count it all joy when you go through trials. Why? Because as you persevere them, God uses it to bring you to maturity. 
So stress in that sense of pressure is actually a good thing. We don't want to live a life sat on an island beach in paradise here. That's nice for a week, but it's ultimately pointless. We need to be under stress. So in that sense, stress is good. The second definition you'll find is that stress is a state of mental or emotional strain resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. So really what we're looking at today is how do we stop the stresses of life from, be, from getting us stressed out as people? How do we stop the difficulties we go through from overwhelming us emotionally, mentally, to where we're stressed out and running around like headless chickens? Uh, rising our blood pressure unnecessarily. At my, I had a recent asthma check this week, and the nurse was very complimentary about my blood pressure. So I was quite happy about that. She said, it's excellent. Now, if you Google stress, you could find a thousand and one ways to deal with stress. You'll find holiday destinations and mindfulness courses and spas and all sorts of things. Of course, those are all good things and great things and wonderful when we can do them. But I think Mary's story has a lot to teach us about, as Christians, how we handle stress so that it doesn't become overwhelming. So let's look at her story. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, beginning there. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this, his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So what does this teach us about Mary and her journey towards Christmas, dealing with that stressful moment? Well, I'm going to give you what I'm going to call stress busters, for for want of a better word. The first stress buster is this. Mary was secure in her identity. She was secure in her identity, both who she was as a person and in who God was calling her to be. Let's look at this briefly. Who was Mary? Well, we're told she was a virgin from Nazareth, living in Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, the north-south divide is a very real thing in England, and it was a very real thing back in Israel at that time. If you were from the north, you were likely sort of viewed as a peasant, And if you were from Nazareth, which wasn't famous for anything, that was even worse, as we see later on in the Gospels. They say, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? If you want an English equivalent, it's a bit like coming from Bolton. I hope there's no one here from Bolton. Okay, good. I haven't offended. Oh, nearly. I said that once in a different context, and there was someone from Bolton. 
I like Bolton because I used to live there. But anyway, it's like coming from there. Nothing special, nobody important. So she was this virgin. And actually, in the first couple of verses, it doesn't even say her name. She was that unimportant. Just this regular teenager because she was pledged to be married and was a virgin. So she hadn't already been married. And in those days, that meant you're a teenager because by 20s, you were definitely married and definitely had, had children by then. So she was a virgin teenager from a no-consequence place. She was related to Elizabeth, we'll find out in a bit. And she was promised or pledged in marriage to Joseph, we read in verse 27. We're not going to call her Joseph's fiancé because that gives us a wrong idea of what it meant to be pledged to be married in those days. It was very much, if you were pledged to be married, that was a done deal. You didn't live together yet, and you didn't have any kind of relations other than verbal, but you were committed to the marriage. And to break that off, there had to be a certificate of divorce. You couldn't just change your mind and walk away from it. You had to have an official divorce to get out of being pledged to be married. So that's who we meet, Mary, this very ordinary teenager, no doubt thinking about having a family with Joseph and growing up in Nazareth and all the things that she would have been thinking about in that traditional society. So we can imagine her surprise, and we can feel her surprise when this angel appears out of nowhere and says, Greetings, highly favored, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it says she was troubled. She was saying, you know, what on earth is going on? What is happening here? And the angel repeats it, verse 30. You have found favor with God. Part of her identity becomes then some, not just this ordinary teenager from Nazareth, but someone whom God highly favors. Someone who's found favor before God. In fact, the word used is the same as grace. It's the same word for grace. You found grace with God. And this is the verb form, you've been highly graced, except we don't really say that in English. She'd experienced in that moment, as the angel came to her and spoke God's word to her, she took on a new identity. Someone who received and experienced God's grace. And I think she fully embraced that because as we read through the story, it ends with these words, which is really what impacted me as I began preparing. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. I'm the Lord's slave, she's saying in effect. I'm saying from this moment, yes to God, to this new identity. I relinquish my rights. I'm going to take my part in what you've called me to. I'm yours, God. I'm your slave. And that's an amazing reaction. You can just compare it to Zechariah, the chapter, a few verses before. He doesn't even believe the angel Gabriel when he comes to tell him. And he had an easy job. He had to go home and have a child. I mean, for every man, that's not a bad job to do. And yet he was unbelieving. And he had to, you know, the angel said, well, you haven't believed me. You can read it. Verse 19, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Verse 20, and now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. I don't know if that was nine months of marital bliss for Elizabeth, but Zachariah couldn't speak for nine months because of his unbelief. Mary's reaction, by contrast, is one of faith. She's commended later on by Elizabeth. Verse 45, blessed is she who's believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. She believed and took her identity on as the Lord's servant. And of course, that's not a humble, demeaning, oh, I'm just a mere slave type approach. As we've said, 
the servant of God is, is an important role to play. Moses is the person in the Old Testament most often called the servant of God. And we also see his reaction. He spent almost a whole chapter arguing with God about becoming God's servant. Mary says, yep, I'm up for it straight away. The prophets, King David, Joshua, they're all the servant of God because they're all willing to take their place in God's mission to redeem the world. And Mary is saying, yes, I'm your servant, God. I'm willing to take my place in your mission to redeem the world in that very specific role God was calling her to. So she took on this new identity. Highly favored, God's servant for an ordinary teenage virgin girl from, from Nazareth. And as we read on in the story, we find out with her interaction with Elizabeth, which we'll look at more in a moment, that actually she understood she was blessed to be a blessing. Elizabeth greets her and says, wow, you are blessed, your son is blessed, and you've blessed me by coming to me. And you can see this, that Mary understands this identity that she has, one of being a humble servant, one of being used by God. As you read her song, we're not going to read it now, but verses 46 down to the 56 is Mary's song of glorifying God, saying, I was just a humble servant. God has looked on me. God is my Savior. And God is going to do great things through me. She understood her role as God's servant, her new identity. So she was very secure in that identity that God gave her through the angel Gabriel. Now, of course, we're talking about this as a stress buster. Everything we've said is very unique to Mary. None of us here are going to experience what she went through. It's all specific to her, but it's also all applicable to us. Looking around the room and looking in a mirror, we're all ordinary, no longer teenagers, and some only could wish that was a recent memory, but we're all ordinary. And yet... We're all highly graced. We've all experienced that amazing favor of God on us, rescuing us from our sin, choosing us and bringing us into his kingdom, calling us his sons and daughters. We have experienced that amazing grace of God, not to become the mother of the Lord Jesus, but to become part of his family. And are we secure in that identity? Whatever else the world tells us about us, we know we have that secure foundation. We are part of God's family. Nothing can take us away from that. Paul says nothing can separate us from God's love. We're his sons and daughters. And that security and identity helps us deal with the stresses that come from outside so that they don't become overwhelming. Further, do we understand our identity as God's slave? God's servant? Have we relinquished the rights to our life to him properly? Because if we haven't, then we're always trying to please someone else. And I'll say more on that in a minute. But do we recognize that our lives are in his hands as his servants? Do we recognize that we're blessed not to sit here, but to be a blessing to the people who need it? In Christ, we have a secure new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's our new identity that we've been given from our gracious Father. Despite our sin, despite our ordinariness, despite the fact that we're not anyone famous, 
we are secure in this identity. And that is a tremendous help in dealing with the stresses of the world. And if we dig back far enough, we find that stress will and does come from the fallenness of the world and our own human sin. It's our sinful self that allows stress to get hold of us because we think things are about us when they're not. And part of the good news the angel brings is that the son Mary was going to restore and rescue God's people. And that's the message that we have, the good news we have to share, that we're rescued and set free. We have Jesus who has come to restore and reign anew. And if he's reigning over us and we take on that identity as God's servant, that is a tremendous stress buster if we're secure in that. So Mary knew her identity. She was secure in it. This ordinary teenager from Nazareth knew she had become the servant of the Lord, the highly favored one. And we can share in that. So stress buster number two. Mary was very clear about her purpose. Just look at verse 38 again. I am the Lord's servant. There's my identity. May it be to me as you have said. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, is what she's saying. It's a simple statement, but a profound statement. Mary accepted God's purpose for her life. What was that? What did the angel say? Let's look what we read. Verse 29 or 30. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. There's your job. There's your mission statement. She had a clear purpose from that point on, and she signed up to play her part in God's mission. Give birth to a son who'd be the savior of the world. Now, the angel is very clever because he didn't tell her about the parenting part. That was the, the, the years to follow. And none of us, when we have children, quite understand that until, well, anyway, enough said. But that focus, that was her focus from then on. Pleasing that one master, God. Saying yes to him. And that meant saying no to a lot of other things. She now had a focus. She was to be the mother of the Lord Jesus. And whatever else she had to say no to, to make that happen, she would. And she asked that question that we saw, verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? She had to trust that God's power was greater than her present circumstances to fulfill her role. She couldn't do it on her own. She recognized that straight away. I'm a virgin. Out of everything the angel said to her, she had very little control. The only thing she could really do, and I'll get hit if I say it was a simple job, was to give birth to Jesus. She couldn't conceive her Jesus by herself. She couldn't make it a boy. And then she couldn't make all the things happen afterwards to Jesus that were promised. She could just simply let God do what he had to do and give birth when the time came and then raise that child and keep him safe. But she recognized that only God could do that. And that's what the angel tells her. He says, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age it goes on to say how she was barren. For nothing is impossible with God. It couldn't be about Mary. It wasn't her power that would enable her to fulfill God's role in her life. It was going to be the Holy Spirit. It was going to be the power of God enabling her to bring Christ to the world. 
to be the mother of our Lord. It was God's power. And we know, as we've already read, that she accepted that and believed that because that's what Elizabeth says to her. Blessed is she who has believed. So she was secure in this role and focused on doing what God wanted her to do, trusting in his power to make it happen. And that took away any pressure to perform. I've got a job to do, but I know God is the one who's going to empower me to do it. It reminded me of the Psalm, Psalm 123, where we read that picture of the psalmist saying to God, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. She could, as those servants, can't act outside of their master's authority and only act to please him and look to the master to give them what they need. Mary was saying, Lord, I'm your servant. I want to do your, the job you've given me. It's your power that's going to make it happen, not mine. So when we focused on God's purpose, we can trust in his power to enable us. And that takes away a huge stress of thinking, how on earth can I play my part for God? And as we see, she also, by saying yes to God, saying I'm God's servant, taking, focusing on this role, she accepted the cost that went with that role. She recognized that she only had one master to please. And she knew that by saying yes to that, she was going to face a lot of pressure. We know from those cultures, to be, have a child, to be pregnant out of marriage, was punishable by death. We heard last week about the honor-shame culture. And it didn't just cost her her reputation, but she brought shame on her whole family. She brought shame on Joseph. She brought shame on the whole village. They could easily have pulled her out and stoned her. And they would have been within their biblical rights to do it. And we know many cultures today where young women, just uh, by suspicion, can be killed because they brought shame on the family. She knew that saying yes to God's role for her meant she would go from being a respectable God-fearing virgin virgin, to be considered a loose, outcast, delusional, pregnant teenager. Is that something that we would say yes to? Imagine that. Who's going to believe the story of an angel saying, you've got the child of the Most High? Talk about being delusional. And yet she, she said yes to it because she knew that's what God had for her. And she knew God's power was going to make it happen. And she had no guarantee how Joseph would react. At that point, he had every right to divorce her, and we read in Matthew's account how he was thinking of doing that because of what had happened. And if she was divorced at that point, nobody would touch her. No other man would want her. They would say, well, you know, something went on. She's shamed. Her family could kick her out. She was saying yes and saying, I'm willing to pay the price, whatever it is. Trusting God to care for her, not knowing what it would mean. Because she knew ultimately she had only one person to please, and that was God. Not try and please everyone else. So how does this stress buster play out for us? Are we secure and focused on the purpose God has for us? Because if not, we'll be running around doing lots of things that distract from what God has really called us to. And he has a very general purpose for all of us, the same as Mary's, to bring Christ to the world. But he has an individual way he wants to use each of us to do that. And if we're not clear on what that is, then we will run around doing lots of things. And Natasha can tell you, I'm an expert in that. 
doing too many things, saying yes to too many people, trying to please too many people. And when this topic came up, she saw it in the bulletin last week and laughed. <laughs> it was a very encouraging start for my preparations, but quite accurate, to be honest. You know, Paul says, if I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. That's a lesson I haven't learned yet, because I fall into that trap so easily. Yet Mary knew that pleasing God was going to mean disappointing and upsetting a lot of other people. But if we say yes to God, it enables us to say no to all the other things that aren't from him and to discern what it is he has for us in particular to do, to be part of his mission. We have that amazing role to play. We're not the mother of the Lord, but we're bringing Christ to the world. Without us, there's no witness in Abbeymead, Abbeydale. And we've been hearing at the church business meeting the idea of helping people move from not knowing God to knowing God, that idea of the four R's, relationship, make sure I get them right, respect, relevance, response. And we may be thinking in our chairs as we heard it, well, that's just too much. I can't introduce someone to Christ. But that's the mission we've been given, and the Holy Spirit will help you if you step out in faith, just like Mary did. And if you're willing to pay the price, and in our culture, there's not a big price to pay. It's a price of our own comfort, price of a bit of embarrassment, the price of time. But we're not going to get stoned. We're not going to get beaten for professing Christ. Are we willing to take our part in God's mission and be focused on what he's called us to, not what everyone else is telling us to do? Because if we are, we can learn to reduce those stresses that come saying, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. Be focused in pleasing your heavenly Father, because he is our master, we're his servants. So our, our third stress buster, if we've had being clear about our identity, secure in our identity, clear about our calling, the third one we see, and I think we're going to borrow a couple of other verses, is the way Mary learned to live a life of reflection, of quietness before God. As we go through this story, we see all these amazing things happening. Mary has had an angel visit her. An angel visits her husband to slap him around the head and say, look, this is my plan. She visits someone who tells her, you know, your, your child is special. She has this amazing experience of coming to Bethlehem, giving birth to Jesus, the shepherds appearing, worshipping. And there seems to be in that moment, as you read at the end of chapter, jumping into chapter 2 after the birth of Jesus, there seems to be a big hullabaloo, typical Christmas. Everybody's excited, running around. Have you heard? The angel, the, the, the shepherds have told us this. What do you know about it? And what do we read about Mary? In that moment, as we think about this, it says, verse 18 of chapter 2, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And this wasn't just something of that I think she did just then because as you jump further forward in chapter 2, by this time Jesus is now 12 years old. You remember he gets left behind in the temple and you know how we want to strangle our kids when they disappear on us, even if it's our fault. And when they find him, he says, well, you, you knew I had to be in my father's house. And then he goes back to Nazareth and is obedient to them. And we read in verse 51, uh, he was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I think this was part of Mary's life, meditating, reflecting, 
a life of reflection on what? What did she treasure? Everything God had done. Everything God had said. She reflected on. She mulled over it. She understood God's purpose for her life as she considered things. The angel said this. Elizabeth said that to me. She really took it to heart. She didn't just get caught up into the rush that we do. You know, we're already starting to plan this birthday, that birthday, Christmas. Before long, you're running 90 miles an hour. And you don't know what you're doing at Christmas. And you're surprised that it's so stressful. Well, Mary took the time out to reflect, what has God said to me? What has God done in my life? And if we don't do that, we are going to be stressed. In fact, I can guarantee if you are stressed, you're not doing that. She pondered over these things, and it was part of her life. You know, our lives are stressful. There is that stress coming out. But sometimes it's because we take on too much and we run too fast. We don't learn to set aside moments of stillness before God. And it can be more than just your daily devotion because that can just become a routine. I'm I'm doing a devotional book right now. It's a 40-day thing, which I've probably taken about four months for. I'm good at these sort of set times. I always take double or triple. And every, every devotional space, it says... The first two minutes, silence and stillness before God. And then when you read through the verses and the devotional thought, it says two minutes, silence and stillness before God, focusing on Christ. I I love reading the verses. I love the devotional thoughts. But those two minutes of silence either side are real killers. You know, after 30 seconds, I'm thinking, that must be five minutes. You know, can I be still before God? Not actually doing anything for him. Not actually expecting him to speak to me through his scripture, just still before God, taking that time out to reflect, what are you saying to me, God? Because we know it's a still, small voice. We don't get the angelic visitation. Mary needed it because her job was quite out of the ordinary, to bear Christ to the world as the mother of Jesus. But most of us are not getting that calling. We have to bring Christ to the world in the ordinary ways, but we still need to set aside time to think to listen, to ponder, and to let his word dwell in us, not just come in here and out there. Mary understood her purpose and was able to go through the first Christmas with all its stresses and strains because she lived a life of reflection on God's purposes and God's word and God's actions in her life. And we could draw on many scriptures if we had the time. In the Psalms, meditating on God's word is such a key theme. Think of Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. If you're stressed out, perhaps that's one area you need to work on. and It's certainly something I'm struggling with. Because it's also a good break, if you like, to our own feelings of, if I don't do this, who will? If I'm still... I'm actually saying I'm not indispensable. God can get on, without, get on with it without me. And that's a healthy thing. And we see that right from creation. God instituted a Sabbath rest. But most of us live life as if everything should be 24-7. Whether it's TV, social media, job, work. That's not the way God ordained it. So a stress buster for us has to be a life of reflection. Then our last stress bust that I see in the life of Mary is actually jumping back to chapter 1 in this visit to Elizabeth. 
verse 39. Let's just read that together. At that time, this is right after the angel has left her, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This last stress buster that Mary experienced was that she was in community with the people of God. Now I can imagine that at the moment of the angel coming to her and speaking those amazing words to her, it was all very overwhelming and wow, that's amazing. But it says, then the angel left her. And then she was once more a teenage, ordinary girl from Nazareth, suddenly pregnant and thinking, oh my goodness, what's just happened? And as she, maybe she got the hint from the angel who said, talked about Elizabeth, and it says she got ready and hurried off to this town where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. And I can imagine for her, this must have been a really encouraging, confirming time for her. Everything Elizabeth speaks to her by the power of the Holy Spirit confirms exactly what the angel had already said to her. In those moments, maybe as she was wrestling with the doubt, am I just flipping out? Did an angel really come and say, I'm going to be the mother of the Savior of the world, the restored Messiah, the King, you know, this this messianic figure that all of Israel is waiting for? And here is Elizabeth saying, yes, it's true. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you'll bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Imagine the power of that affirmation from Elizabeth, this fellow walker in the paths of God who'd signed up to play her part in the mission of God by bringing John the Baptist to prepare the way of Jesus. And as they were together, it must have been a wonderful time of encouragement. We read on after Mary's song that she stayed there about three months. So in other words, just up to the time of John the Baptist being born. She needed that confirmation, I think. I think that's why she went there. And she got it from Mary, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think that is our, the final stress buster for us, the community of people around us. We need one another. If we're stressed and struggling, cutting ourselves off is not the way to deal with it. We need one another's support. We could go into multiple scriptures where Paul many times tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens, to love one another, care for one another, speak words of life to one another, confirm what God is doing in each other's lives, confirm the words he's given to us. And although Mary didn't experience this with Elizabeth, I think as well as confirming what God is doing, confronting where we need to change. Helping one another deal with our sins. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. And if anyone falls into sin, restore them gently. James 5, confess your sins to one another so you can be turned and be healed. Hebrews 10, don't give up meeting together. Encourage one another. So many passages of scripture are one another passages written to us as a community, not to us as individuals. 
because we need one another. And if we cut ourselves off, you imagine Mary, it would have been so easy to have said, well, I've had this amazing experience. No one's going to understand. I'm just going to try and deal with it by myself. And that's usually my way of dealing with stress is to withdraw and get my head in the book and frustrate the life out of my wife who wants to help me. We need one another. We need that, were those words of support and confrontation. So if we're thinking about the run-up to Christmas, which is a time of stress, yes, stress from outside, pressures from family, kids who want gifts we can't give them, and all kinds of things that go on, are we willing to follow the example of Mary? We've been given a new identity, one based on grace. We've been given a clear purpose to bring Christ to the world. But we can't do that in our own strength. We need to reflect and to be with God, and we need one another in community. So as we've, we're facing this challenge this Christmas of bringing Christ to the world, will we say like Mary, I am the Lord's servant, let it be to me, as you have said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the lives of those who've gone before us, who are now that great cloud of witnesses encouraging us in our race. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another. Help us to be focused on the purpose you've given us, secure in what you've called us to be and who you've called us to be. And Lord, as we, in the run-up to Christmas, have interaction with people who don't know you, enable us to point them to you, the Messiah, the, the baby that was born to restore and save and bring health and wholeness before you. So we ask that you would help us individually and as a church as we look forward to Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.